we're going to continue this journey of becoming. Um, as we said before, God has us in a constant state of becoming, a constant state of transformation, becoming what he wants us to be. And so I believe he's doing that with many of us individually as believers. I believe that he's doing that with our church collectively. We are in a time of of transition and transformation, and it's exciting to watch. And so this morning, we're going to continue this, and we're going to continue to look this morning at the instructions of Jesus, uh, straight out of the Gospel of Matthew this morning is where we're going to be looking. And, um, you know, a lot of these messages that that have been a part of this series have really focused on um, the things that we do, the, the, you know, how we do things as a church and as a church family. And this morning, it's going to shift a little bit. And rather than talking so much about what we do, we're going to, talk, we're going to let Jesus teach us something about who we are. Because sometimes it's easy to get so wrapped up in what we're doing that we can forget our identity. We can forget who we really are. And so this morning, Jesus is going to tell us a little bit about knowing who we are and who he declares that we are. Um, and I think if we understand who we are, then we'll see the result more of the things that we're doing, the efforts that we're making to be the church that he wants us to be. So find Matthew chapter 5 for me. We're going to jump right in this morning, and we're going to look at instructions straight from the mouth of Jesus and we're actually going to be taking two weeks to look at this particular passage because it is so rich, it's so deep. It's very familiar uh, to all of us. It's not a, a, an obscure passage. It's something that we have heard our entire lives if we've grown up in the church. Uh, so let's look at Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 13 and see what Jesus says. I'll be reading to you from the NIV. And in verse 13... Of chapter 5 of Matthew, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, what I want us to realize this morning uh, and, and over the next couple of weeks is that Jesus here is not so much talking about what we do, but he's showing us who we are. This is about our identity. And there are two illustrations that he uses to teach us about who we are in him and what our function is in the world. Obviously, we have to know who we are before we can understand what it is that we're supposed to be doing, what our function is supposed to be. And he uses salt and he uses light. So today we're going to focus on what Jesus says to us about being salt. We're literally only going to look at verse 13 this morning. And then next week we're going to talk more about what does he mean when he says we are 
the light of the world. So look with me in verse 13. The very first sentence of that verse, you are the salt of the earth. Now there are a couple of really important words that we need to understand in trying to really grasp everything that Jesus is telling us here. And the first important word is the first word. You. You are the light of the world. And what's important for you to know about that word is when Jesus speaks that, he's not using the word you in a singular form. He's using it in a plural form. So when he is standing, addressing the crowd that he's addressing, he's using the word you collectively, not individually. Um, We know that this is from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is where we find the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest uh, single teachings of Jesus publicly uh, that, that is recorded in Scripture. And, and one day, um, the Lord will, will lead me, I'm sure, for us to walk through the entire Sermon on the Mount from start to finish. And that will take us a while. <laughs> I'm just warning you, when we get there, that's going to take a long time. Uh, but today, we're just looking at this part. But Jesus is addressing this to a crowd of thousands and thousands of people. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, he's, he's using that word collectively. Do you think that everybody in that crowd were genuine followers of Jesus? No, probably not. More than likely... There were some people there who were just curious. They wanted to see who he was. They had heard stories about him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They were skeptical. There may have been some of his critics in the crowd. There may have been people who um, were just looking for another miracle, another show that he was going to put on. Maybe some people um, had heard about um, him feeding thousands of people and and the miracles that he did, and thought, hey, maybe we'll get a free lunch out of this. I don't know. There's lots of motives that people probably had. But when Jesus says, uses that plural form of the word you, and he says, you are the light of the world, he's definitely talking to people in that group. And he's definitely talking to a, a group of people, not just one single person individually. Um, let me ask you a question. How often have you ever used a single grain of salt for anything. Like if you're going to put salt on your mashed potatoes or whatever, like you don't get your tweezers out and take out the salt and get one little grain of salt and put it in your potatoes and mix it all up. Like nobody does that. Because why? Because one single grain of salt doesn't really have that big of an effect. It doesn't make a big difference. Salt is meant to be used collectively. You're supposed to sprinkle it all over your food. It's supposed to... to, to you, you don't just use one grain of salt. You use lots of salt, but you use it collectively together. When you, One little grain of salt doesn't really fulfill what it's supposed to fulfill, but when you use a, several grains of salt all together, then it does what it's supposed to do. It's the same way with us. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. 
that when you, when you come together as the salt of the earth and you sprinkle yourself in the world to accomplish what I've purposed for you to accomplish, then you're going you're gonna to do what salt is supposed to do. So he's talking to all of us collectively. This is a, this is a, a call of those that are in him. Now that second word in verse 13 is the word are. You're thinking already, boy, this is going to be a long sermon. <laughs> the word are is important because with that word, Jesus emphasizes being rather than doing. He doesn't say act like salt or taste like salt or do the things that salt does. But of course, if you are salt, you're going to be and do all of those things. But he doesn't say act like salt or do what salt does. He says you are salt. Period. That's your identity. That's, that's what you are. If you are in me, you are the salt of the earth. If you're truly my disciple, that's who you are. So if we are salt, what does Jesus, what, what is he implying? What does that mean? What does salt do? What's the purpose of salt? If he compares us to salt. So we have to think about that for a few minutes. Now salt in Jesus' day was way more valuable than it is today. You may, you may be sitting there thinking, well, what's the big deal about salt? Like, does everybody like salt? Most of y'all, I mean, salt's good. I mean, yeah, you, you, everybody likes some salt. Um, but it doesn't mean that much to us, that analogy necessarily, because salt isn't something that we consider to be super valuable. It's very abundant. It's not hard to find. It's super cheap. We have tons of it. Um, there's the value of it is kind of lost in our culture. But in this day, in this crowd that Jesus is addressing, they regarded it much more valuable than we do. Um, if you look in history, it said that the Romans, the Roman culture actually regarded salt to be one of the most valuable elements that, that they had. And Roman soldiers actually got paid in salt because it was such a valuable commodity to have. Have you ever heard anybody use the expression like talking about someone who's kind of lame or kind of sorry and say, oh, that guy's not worth his salt? That's an older expression, but maybe you've heard that before. That's where the expression came from because these Roman soldiers were actually paid with salt. So when we say, oh, that guy's not worth his salt... That, that's what it means. He's not worth what we're paying him. Salt also was used to bind a covenant in this culture. If there were, it, it was like a, it was very similar to what a notary public does now for us. If there were two people who wanted to enter into an agreement, a contract with each other, um, there was a symbolic gesture that they would sit down together and they would both eat salt together and they would do that in with witnesses present 
And that eating of the salt between the two of them bound their agreement together in the presence of those witnesses. It's very similar to what when you go to a notary and you have a, a document that needs uh, to be uh, it needs to be you know confirmed that you signed this in the presence of these witnesses. Two people would share salt, and that bound their agreement together. So they're understanding that and understanding the value that was in the culture we we can pull lots of different analogies about salt about what Jesus may have meant what was the function of it what was he trying to teach us Um, and there are lots of things but there are three that really stand out and have more of a historical context and of these three there's one that I think if we try to figure out what was Jesus really going for what what point was he really trying to make? Um, I think one of these three stand out, but they can all be applied, and we can all learn from them. Um, the first thing that salt did and still does is it produces thirst. Salt makes you thirsty. Uh, it increases your body's craving for water. Now, I tried to be all nerdy and medical and sciencey, and I started looking up uh, biology stuff about the body and salt. And to, best, it, to my best understanding, what happens is that when, when we take salt into our body, um, your body needs a certain level of salt to function. That's a necessary thing in your body. Uh, it's not all bad. Some, it's, it's good. You have to have some salt content in your body to be healthy. But too little salt will cause trouble for you. Too much salt will cause trouble for you. So there's a balance that your body tries to balance with the salt intake and your salt content in your body. And so when we take in extra salt and that balance begins to get a little too heavy and we have too much salt, your body literally pulls water from cells and other places in your body. It starts, that's why, that's what dehydration is, it starts to pull the, the water out of other parts of your body to try to balance out those electrolytes in the salt so that it doesn't overpower you, it doesn't become too much. And so it's trying to keep that balance. And so when we take in salt, your body, that's why you crave water. That's why it makes you thirsty. The presence of a real, true believer and follower of Jesus in the world should make people thirsty. If we are being, if the salt of the earth that Jesus says that we are, our presence in the world, our presence in this community, our presence in the lives of non-Christians should create a craving and a desire to know Jesus. It should make them thirsty for him. Um... Because lost people suffer from what we could say is like a spiritual dehydration. And you probably have encountered it before. Maybe you were someone who said this before you came into a relationship with Christ. When you were lost. And you knew a Christian and you came across a believer who was really genuine. Somebody who really understood what being a Christ follower was. 
And there was something about them that when you look at them, you go, man, I want what they've got. Like, I want to be, they've got something that I don't, I know I don't have. And they become thirsty for it. They say, I want that. I want to be that. You've got something in your life that I don't. And I want that in my life. Our, our presence, our lives, should create a thirst in people's lives for Jesus. And the reason we want them to be thirsty for Jesus is because he said of himself when he met the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, you can draw water from this well all you want to, but the more you drink it, the more you're going to keep getting thirsty. But the water that I give you is what kind of water? It's living water. And he says, the ones who drink the living water don't thirst anymore. Hmm. There's no more thirsty. But... Until they drink the living water, they're going to be thirsty for it. And we should be the salt that tells them and reminds them how thirsty they are for Jesus. So if we're the salt of the earth, we should be creating thirst in people for Jesus. The second thing is that salt enhances the flavor of food, of things. And this is, this is the way we usually think of salt. Um, my father-in-law, you guys know big Randy, Randy Johnson. Love him with all my heart. One of his favorite things in the world to do is cook a steak, y'all. He can slam, make the most incredible steak ever. It's so good. Um, and I even got so nerdy. We were on vacation this summer, and I was going to cook steaks on vacation. And I became so nerdy and consumed with wanting to try to make a steak as good as Randy can make a steak. Is um, I told you all about my YouTube thing, right? So I started Googling and watching YouTube videos about how to cook a good steak. And, um, and you know what I found out? And there's lots of stuff that everybody cooks steaks different and puts lots of... But one of the things I found out was that the pros, quote unquote, those guys who, who, who are chefs professionally... They say, you know what, the, the greatest way to season a steak, to really draw out the natural flavor of a steak, is just salt and pepper. And some of y'all are shaking your heads like, mm-hmm, yeah, that, like that's what you do when you cook a steak. Just salt and pepper. Just put a little salt and pepper in it, and that salt will draw out the natural flavor of that steak. Because salt by itself isn't really that great, is it? Like when Mary Poppins was cleaning the nursery, she didn't have the kids sing, a spoonful of salt will help the medicine go down, right? Because it's not going to, it's not going to, because it's going to make you choke, because a spoonful of salt is nasty. Nobody eats a spoonful of salt. Um, it by itself is, it doesn't taste good. You don't just eat a spoonful of salt. But with, with our food, if we add the right amount of salt to our food, like a steak, salt has the ability to somehow pull the natural flavor of a food out if we use it in the right amount, if we use it in the right way. You, you season a good steak with salt, the natural flavor of the steak comes out and the salt's able to draw that out. But you've got to use it correctly, right? You use too little salt in a, in a food to, to flavor it. 
uh, it, it doesn't make any difference. You can't taste it. If you use too much salt, you ruin it. Right? It's, it just becomes bitter and gross and nasty. If we are the salt of the earth, our presence in the world should give testimony to the goodness of God. When the scriptures say, taste and see that the Lord is good, we should be that seasoning that, that, peop, that draws out the natural goodness of who God is and makes it evident to people. That when they encounter us, we should carry the taste of Jesus in our lives. We should carry the aroma of Jesus in our lives. And I wonder sometimes if we don't leave a bad taste in people's mouths um, because we don't use our saltiness the way we're supposed to. You use too little, doesn't make a difference. You can't taste it. You pour it on too heavy, it ruins it. It makes it bitter. It makes it gross. Nobody wants to eat your food with a pile of salt on top of it. We have to learn how to use our saltiness in our relationships with people and reaching out to the lost because if we back off too little, we're not going to make any impact. Well, if we pour on too much of our religiousness and our piety and our, and our arrogance, then it's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth and they'll walk out the door and never come back because it's just gross. It makes Christianity nasty to people. So we, we season people's taste of Jesus. We should draw out the goodness of God. But I believe that this third one is the function of salt Jesus was really talking about and, and this is probably the main idea that he was trying to get across when he says you are the salt of the earth. Salt preserves things from rot and decay. Now they didn't have big freezers and refrigerators and things like that like we do in the first century to be able to, to keep food fresh. And so one of the ways they did that was they packed it with salt. They, they used salt. And salt was a preservative for food, especially meat. They would, they would pack it in salt and it would preserve it and keep it from becoming decayed. The presence of Jesus' true church in the world has a preserving influence in the world. It slows down the moral and spiritual decay of the communities that God places his believers in. Would you all agree with me that the world is rotting away? The Bible says the world is rotting away. There are some people who will try to tell you that the world is just gradually getting better. There's even theologies that say that the world is, is gradually in a process of becoming more and more the kingdom of God until eventually we have God's kingdom here on earth and it's just going to happen gradually and, and eventually everything is going to be great. Y'all, that's not what Jesus said. It's not what the scriptures say. The world is not slowly getting better and better. The world is slowly getting worse and worse and worse. And there will be a day that comes when God says, that's enough. 
and he will come in and he will begin to change the world. But we're not going to do it. On our, it's, it's not, we are not in a state where we're going to make the world better and better and better. It's getting worse and worse and worse. So if the world is decaying and rotting around us and Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, our presence in the world should at least slow down that process. It should at least preserve the world and the communities around us from this spiritual and moral decay that's happening. Because think about what happens in the book of Revelation. What happens after God raptures his church out of the world? The world goes to hell. It becomes hell on earth. And nobody wants to stick around for that. <laughs> there are people who are like, oh, well, if the, if the rapture happens and I miss it, it's no big deal. Because No, it is a big deal. You do not want to be here. Because it will be hell on earth. And the scripture says it's going to be that way. And that's what happens when the church leaves because the church is the salt of the earth. We are the ones that are kind of God is using to, to slow down that process of decay. To preserve the world. So Jesus' presence in us. If we want to be a salty church in Lindale. If we want to be a salty church in Silver Creek and Rome and all the areas around us. We will, we will slow the moral decay of the community around us. You say, well, what's the purpose of slowing the moral decay? Slowing things down, preserving the world. You know why? So that more people can come to Jesus. So more people can hear the gospel. So that people's lives don't self-destruct as quickly as they would without that preservation of the salt of the earth that God says, I'm going to put my church here and, and you guys are going to help hold things together while I am drawing all men unto me. And you lift up my son and when you lift up my son, I'm going to draw men to me and you are a part of that process. But what if we're not salty? What if we lose our saltiness? Jesus asks this question in the rest of verse 13. It's very important. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus asks a really important question here. Can salt... Be unsalty. Can it actually, can salt actually lose its ability to be salt? And I, 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 this question kind of grabbed me, and I was like, I, I really want to find out the answer. So again, I, I tried to get all science nerdy and, and do some research and find out. And here's from, from my research, and I'm not a science teacher, but here, here's what I found. We know that the chemical composition for salt is two elements coming together, sodium and chlorine, right? When sodium and chlorine come together, they create sodium chloride. That's the chemical composition of salt. So anytime you have sodium and chlorine together combined as sodium chloride, by definition, you have salt, right? 
Every, like, it's always going to be that salt. So whenever those two combine, it's going to be salt. It's going to taste like salt. It's going to have the properties of salt. That's always going to be salt. So how can salt not be salt? The only way that salt can be unsalty is if you change the chemical composition of it. So if you alter the composition of salt, which is sodium chloride, by adding anything to it, or taking anything away from it, it's not going to be salty anymore. You know why? Because it's not salt anymore. There's only a couple of ways that you can take the saltiness out of salt. You can dilute it, and you can add water. You can add that H2O to it, and because those chemicals break down and they spread out in that water through dilution then it becomes less salty. If you were to take one grain of salt and put it on your tongue, you'd taste that. If you put one grain of salt in a glass of water and mixed it up, dissolved it, mixed it, I said mixed it, mixed it up and dissolved it and drank it, you may barely taste it. The only way it can lose its saltiness is if it's diluted by water or if it's contaminated by other chemicals that aren't salt. If, if other elements get mixed in with it, it will contaminate it and it won't, it won't be pure salt anymore. Here's what we have to understand. We can't make other people thirsty for Jesus if we've lost our thirst for him ourselves. If, if I'm not thirsty for Jesus, I can't make you thirsty for Jesus. If we are to be the, the taste of Jesus in the world, we can't do that if we are filling our lives with all of the other flavors that the world has to offer. If we take our saltiness and we start adding all of these other things from the world, all these other tastes, flavors, ideas, philosophies, worldviews, and start mixing those in with the salt, it's not salty anymore because we're changing the composition of it. We also, if part of our goal is to preserve the world, if we're a preservative, like like salt in the meat we can't save the world from corruption of sin if we're allowing sin to corrupt us we can't be that preservative in the world to slow down the corruption of sin if we're letting sin get mixed up in our salt if we're letting those things that contaminate get mixed up in there, we can't be that preservative. We lose our function. So Jesus says, you, who you are, who I saved you to be, who I created you to be, you are salt. Period. But if we lose all the characteristics of being salt, then he says we're useless to him. So useless, in fact, that he says there's really no good 
that I can think of to do with you other than throw you on the ground and let people walk over you. There's no, there's no use, there's no function, there's nothing that I can do with you. Um, he actually goes even further. I want you to read what Jesus says in Luke 14. Same teaching that he's making, but in Luke 14 he says something a little different that's even stronger. In Luke 14, verses 34 and 35, this is what he says. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? This same thing that he says in Matthew. Look at verse 35. It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. And it's thrown out. (laughs) Jesus says that unsalty salt, or these little white specks that are supposed to be salt, but they're not salt because they've... He says they're not good for anything. He says, I I can't even put them in the soil. Because soil is good, dirt is good, because things grow from the dirt. But you throw a bunch of unsalty salt... In the midst of the dirt, it's not going to be able to grow things the way it's supposed to. You'll ruin the dirt. And then he says, it's not even good enough to put in a pile of manure. Because manure is good. We can use it. It fertilizes the soil. But if you throw a bunch of useless, tasteless, functionless salt in it, it's going to ruin it. He literally says it's not good for anything. Salt is good, but unsalty salt is useless. Um, I have this little... um, I saw this illustration. I saw Francis Chan do this illustration, so I'll give him credit. I didn't come up with it on my own. Um, But here's a a little salt pack. This is like what comes in... You know, a little kit when you go to a restaurant or something and you get takeout. Let's pretend that this is the real, this is real salt. This is the real stuff. Okay, and so there's what's in there. It's not a lot, but that's, that's real salt. That's the real stuff. Now, if we had this... Let's pretend that this is um, the fake stuff. This is the stuff that Jesus was talking about. It's not any good anymore. It's not good for anything. To, we just throw it out. We throw it on the ground. It has no function. Is there ever any reason that we would take this and pour it on top of that like there's there's no point like why would we do that what we've done now is we've taken the little bit of salt that was good and we've covered it up with all this salt that's not any good and now it it, it doesn't do anything like there's no reason for us to do this from Jesus' perspective, but sometimes we still do this. Um, unfortunately, sometimes in church we do this. You know why we do this? Because it makes our pile bigger. 
because we want everybody to see how big our pile is. Oh, look at our pile. Look at how many, look at all the stuff we're doing. Look at all the people that are here. Look at our big, look at our big stuff. Look at all the stuff we have. Look at our pile. It's so big. But I think Jesus would look at our pile sometimes and go, well, what is it a pile of? What is it? If it's a pile full of unsalty, useless, tasteless, no purpose salt, it's not good for anything. And there's a little bit of salt mixed up in there, but there's so much unsalt on top of it that the salt can't even really do what it's supposed to be doing. You think Jesus would like for our salt pile to be this big? Yeah. But only if it's real salt. Not if it's a bunch of fake salt. We think this is great. But Jesus says, this is useless. This doesn't do anything for the kingdom. And so if we want to pursue being that identity of what he's made us to be, we have to understand this. You realize, too, that our saltiness doesn't come from us. There's the, the fact that we're salty doesn't come from anything that we do. We're salty because of Jesus. Y'all with me? Our saltiness comes from him. It doesn't come from how good we are or how faithful we are, or any of those things. His, our saltiness comes from Him. And sometimes we've got people who are trying to live and be the salt of the earth in a world and they, that they can't because they're not salty because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. You can't make yourself salty. Without surrendering your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, Jesus says you're just that fake stuff. Has no purpose, no use in the kingdom. But that's the invitation. That's the invitation. The invitation is the only one that can make you the salt of the earth is Jesus. And so come and let him make you his salt in this world. Let him transform you. Let him make you into something useful, productive that he can use. Church, do you, do you want to be salt in this community? I hope so. I hope so. I want us to be. Jesus wants, to, wants us to be. But if, we, if we're going to be salt, we can't let other stuff get mixed in with our good salt. We can't let sin, we can't let corruption, we can't let... Um, Fake, fake anything. We can't let that into our salt because it will take away our saltiness. We can't let the world corrupt it. But if you feel like you're not salty anymore, Jesus, because he made you salty in the first place, he can restore that. He can make you salty again. And then we can be who he actually made us and purposed for us to be.